the project. Kuwait. Learn. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Project. And in today's episode, we had none other than... Me! Jumping back in for a little bit of a surprise for our listeners. You're going to talk a little bit about yourself in this episode and what you're currently doing, right? That's right. I've decided to sign up for a power meet in September. And... We get into a lot of different details about that, what your training looks like, how you used to train before this. Not only that, Meg jumps in and talks about what she's doing over in the States right now in terms of training. And as usual, I bash on the trainers here in Kuwait. (laughs) (laughs) But Meg's actually doing a pretty cool thing over in the States. Completely different than what she's doing right now. She's working with the Goldeners. And if you want to know what that is, you have to keep listening. So it's a hell of an episode. Granted, you might have a little bit of a uh, sound muffling (laughs) because we had some cars racing in the background, but it's a good episode. There's a lot of great content. DM us if you have any questions. Take care. All this and more in today's episode. Meg Project. Hi. (laughs) From the States. Still hoping we're going to get you back here. Inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> Plus, we got Hay joining. Plus, we got Hay yeah. joining in on the show today. You want to tell them where I am right now? <laughs> All the way from the other side of Kuwait. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, we got one in the states and one at Caribou and Hubley. Awesome. Just trying this out. <laughs> I love it. So, Meg, what's been going on? How's the international? Uh, how's the training business over in the states? It's going good. Definitely a big learning curve. In Kuwait, it's been hard to come back to a place like this and kind of recreate and find that again. So I've tapped into some different communities, I suppose, than what I was working with in Kuwait. In Kuwait, I had a handful of people that were kind of near that retirement age and really wanting to feel better in their body as they near retirement, you know, and kind of what does life look like after the job. Coming from Kuwait, I had a really good community and from the client side. So coming to the States in a new place I've never lived before, new city I've never lived in before. It's been kind of hard to find and recreate that again. So I was saying in Kuwait, I had a good community of people that were nearing that retirement age that were wanting to feel better as they age after work is done. And what does that life look like? And what is my day and my health like? And I'm not going to work every day. And how do I move? And how do I want to feel? And kind of helping them feel confident in that process of aging. And now coming back here, I have kind of tapped into independent living facilities and retirement facilities now where my age range is closer to that like 70 to 90 age range. And it's just a lot of education on the fear of falling, a lot of posture issues, a lot of balance issues. And so it's just kind of re-educating them on the thing in their them. They just say, you know, like I'm 88 years old and I never expected to feel like this. And so it's, you know, teaching them about like the walkers and the tools that they are using, how low are the handles set and how does that change your posture and your balance than when you're not using that tool. And like I was just saying, it's kind of an ignored population. And when they're in a facility like that, the staff and everybody is worried about them falling as well. So they'll kind of provide these devices and things that make life a little bit easier for them to get around. But what happens is it really inhibits the skill, the physical capability of what they had. And it kind of limits that and just makes them more dependent on that tool. And that just increases the chances then of falling and injury and all these things. So like I was telling you guys earlier, I have like one of my clients, he's 90. I think his birthday is today, actually. And he turns 97. And 
over the weekend. Him and his wife are still living together in an independent living facility, very social and active. They'll play cards every week. And that's a big part of the health you know, regimen that I talk about with them getting out and meeting people. But over Mother's Day, they went to go visit their son. And he was explaining that there was 18 steps to get up into his son's house and how he had to have help with that. You know, someone holding him around the waist and grabbing onto the railing. So what's cool is now we've kind of made that like our goal. So that the next time he goes back to the son's house, he feels at least a little bit more confident in taking the stairs, maybe a little less support and help from people. And a lot of that comes down to teaching him about his feet, his balance. And then again, like his walker and things too, you know, like the positioning of the handles and little things that he can start doing day to day in his downtime that are going to help him a little bit of confidence for that. So it's a really fun population to work with. You have to get really creative with things of how do you set someone down in a chair because they can't stand for long periods of time and still work on things like their balance and confidence in movement and things like that. So it's been really, really fun by far. One of my favorite populations I've worked with. And it's making me, I think, a little bit more aware and better at coaching more able-bodied people that are younger and kind of looking like, all right, (laughs) 50 years down the road, what are we doing for your joints and your body and stuff that are helping you maintain this? And a lot of it comes out for a lot of them. It's the feet teaching them about the feet and the balance. And everyone says, you know, they can balance better in their shoes. I'm trying to explain to them that the more those feet are trapped inside those shoes, the more damage you're actually doing. Your feet need to feel different textures. They need to hit different pressure points. There's a lot of movement that needs to happen below the ankle that gets ignored. And that's like where aging aging starts. I know that was a long rant. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good, dude. You're good. No, you're totally good. No, you're right. I mean, it's... it's- Afraid of freezing up again. Yeah, but you're totally right. But, I mean, elderly people, it sucks because my grandmother in the States, God rest her soul, she passed away, I think, at 74. She smoked like two packs a day, too. But right. she fell, broke her hip. And as soon as she broke her hip, yeah. it was just like, that was it. It kind of just went yeah. downhill from there because once an older person sustains an injury like that, they're they have joint degradation, their muscles, the atrophy just sets in and they lose all their muscle. It's kind of downhill after that, which kind of- The recovery process is so much harder with all of that (laughs) coming into play. Yeah. So, I mean, it it does suck. And over here, the mentality- Very rewarding. Yeah. But the mentality- It also helps to keep you a little more creative, like you were saying, because these goals are completely different. It's not, I want to lose 30 pounds here or I want to do a pull-up. It's like, no, I want to be able to get up comfortably out of my chair. Yeah. And And it's a lot in like, Especially, yeah, with like the medications and things too, you know, it's like, so I'm talking to them too about like, how much water are you drinking? And then it's like, if someone's on dialysis, like they're restricted on how many liquids they can intake, you know? So there's just all these things I'm learning about that are just, aren't the typical yeah. advice and solutions that I can give to most of my clients. So I'm just becoming really aware. Before? No, like, I mean, I was extremely close to my grandfather growing up. He was paralyzed from the waist down and he, I mean, he still did everything his entire life. He fished and he still drove. He still did everything. My grandma still never pumped a tank of gas a day in her life. You know, even after he was paralyzed, he still got out of the car and did all that. Like he was amazing. And and a lot of that was creative on how can we get him to continue to do all these things that he loved to do, not having use of his legs. I mean, he was told he wouldn't be able to walk, which for some people, when a doctor tells them that depression just sets in right away. And I've heard this before from clients in Kuwait too, you know, like that MS diagnosis when people are told that they have that and they're told like, this is what it looks like within 10 years for you. And it just slumps them into this depression. And then they don't do anything that can help them when actually like physical activity and things can really help at least delay a lot of that. So it's like, he was told he would never walk again. And he was just kind of like, I don't think so. And he walked with canes for like the next 10 years. And they like, they told him he wouldn't be able to do that. 
And then it was like canes turned into a walker. And then, you know, eventually he was into a wheelchair. But I mean, he played that process as long as he could. And got his upper body strength was just incredible. That was probably my most experience with that. And I, I, in high school, I mean, I drove twice a week. I would go and have dinner with him when he was in a nursing home at this point. I went and had dinner with him. I was very, very close to him. I would call him every day on the way home from swim practice when I went away to college. And it's just being in that setting too, like... A lot of people, are, like I said, it was just kind of a forgotten population as far as like health and fitness goes. But then even family-wise in the States, in Kuwait, it's a little different. You guys keep the family together you know, a little bit more. But it was just really sad, you know, going in there. And this is where the social health thing is such an important part of health that I always stay focused on too, because you just see a lot of people in their lonely and you just kind of wonder like how much of that degradation of their physical health and their mental health is because of that lack of social connection and things. And so just getting really connected with, I would walk in and it was like, I was there to visit everybody that was there. And I think, yeah, he definitely taught me a lot of just where I value things in health, you know, as far as the physical, social and mental side of things. So that's kind of just the personal experience of professionally. I worked with kids with behavior and psychiatric disorders, and then that turned into working with athletes. And then that kind of transitioned to the retirement age. And then now later in life, goldeners. I'm reading a book right now and they call it, they don't like the term senior citizens or elderly or geriatric. They like the term goldeners. So that's what <laughs> okay, I'm trying to use now. <laughs> I like that. It's a hey, you can't happier. blame them. You can't blame them. In right. all honesty, yeah. you can't blame them. Very fair. <laughs> so funny. But the book that I'm finding very useful in working with them, it's called Aging Dynamically. And I bought this book for my stepmom and she shared it with her mom. And it's a great book. They both read it like within a day. It's got larger print in it. So if you do want to share it with someone who's having trouble with eyesight and things like that, but it does, it talks a lot about the feet, talks a lot about balance and just how to age. I mean, she is, Katie Bowman is the author and it's like her and four of her clients who started working with her in like their seventies. And they ended up getting to a point where they're hiking like five to eight miles in like minimal footwear and just doing some incredible, incredible things with their bodies like later in life. So it's a really interesting read. So if anyone's looking for a good new book and kind of interested in in aging, I would say Aging Dynamically is a great read. Katie Bowman is someone we should try to get on the podcast. She's amazing. You should look up some of her stuff. So when you get a lot of these clients, what are their initial goals realistic or do you kind of have to talk them down and say, let's focus on your feet first or let's talk about your social connections and then go from there? I think it's kind of the opposite with them. I think that they aim really low, which is fine because most people, like you're saying, like, you know, the goals are like way up here and it's kind of like, mm, let's like start back down here a little bit. Kind of have to bring them down. But with these guys, it's like, I think they're shocked at what they can do and they just haven't tried. It's like something as simple as like an arm circle and just getting their arm to straighten and how far back can they reach? And they're just like, oh my God, like I haven't even tried this in 10 years. <laughs> you know, my shoulders, everything just became very forward. I've been walking like this and they kind of just forget like what's behind them and what's back here and what options there are. It's just, they're very kind of front and forward focused. So I think it's just, like I said, I think a lot of the things, people around them have a fear of them falling because they care and they don't want them to get hurt. So it's not coming out of a bad place. They're not trying to harm them. But I think all these things that are implemented to make their life easier are actually harming harming them more with yeah. the use of a lot of these tools. I know it's supposed to... And that just kind of goes back to that quote that easy choices equals a hard life. And it is. It's just, you know, our environment totally shapes us. And the more things you put around you to kind of adapt and limit how much you have to move or how much you have to figure out, you're just making things a lot more difficult for you in the long run. So I think a lot of them are just, yeah, blown away by what they actually still can do because they're looking back at like, oh, when I was 30, 40, 50, I was walking, driving, doing all these things when now I'm told I can't. Like my one client was saying he's 97. I think he drove up until he was like 93. And the only reason he stopped is because 
he was fine driving, but they just moved into this independent living facility and the need kind of became less. And now it's to a point where he definitely wouldn't be able to drive. But I don't know, had he been out in a different environment and able to do things a little bit longer? Who knows? But I mean, 97, he's still amazing for the shape that he's in. But yeah. How would you see the comparison of the elderly in the States versus the elderly here in Kuwait? I know some older people that are still cutting their lawn. They're still trimming their bushes. They're still doing a lot of different activities well into their 60s. Right. Where here in Kuwait, and my dad said this, he put it best. He told me when I, a couple of years ago, he was like, yeah, what are you going to do? Retire when you're 50 years old, sitting in D&D all day doing nothing versus staying active in life. And I think here, the bigger problem is is people do that. They just sit. It just turns into, okay, you retire. That's it. Halas, sit down, drink tea all day. You don't have to move. You got the maids, you got the driver, you got this. And there's no purpose at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like you were talking about your grandfather. He still had purpose in his life. Whereas here, I think a lot of people lose that purpose and it turns into them just kind of like deteriorating slowly. I, yeah, you know, I, totally. I, I saw yeah. it a lot with some elderly people here in Kuwait and we don't have the facilities you guys have in the States. It's definitely mm-hmm. something that Kuwait really lacks in. There are no assisted living homes for older people. There's none of that here. Right. Or right. at least none that yeah. I know of. Right. And that's where it's like, yeah, I would say like, I think of my grandma, she's 89 this year and she still lives at home, big old house, gardens. She still drives, you know, around town. I mean, she hates vegetables. She's never worked out a day in her life. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's so funny when you hear stories like that. And that's why people are just like, well, oh, what does it matter what I do? I don't know, as you age. But yeah, we do have a lot of facilities. We do have, I guess, specifically where I'm at, like a lot more nature around and opportunities to get outside. It's more walkable and things like that as compared to Kuwait. I would say where the one up is in Kuwait is probably the family connection and that people do stay more connected to their elderly, having them around or having them so close. I feel like there's definitely a health value of that. But I think, yeah, as like facility wise and opportunities of, or even just, you know, maybe some of that mindset of like, what am I really capable of or kind of how the elderly are viewed. I think here it's starting to change a little bit more of people kind of letting go of like, well, I'm just supposed to feel like crap in my body because this is my age or I'm not supposed to, I shouldn't be doing these things because this is my age. Where you look at like, I think one of my teachers that I had had, he was explaining his his wife's grandma. Um, she's in Greece and she's like 88 years old and she's still like climbing trees to grab branches and food for her goats or something, you know? And it's just like, and people are all worried about it. You know, they're like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And she's just like, nobody ever told her that she couldn't be doing it. Like she just kept doing it forever. And that was just part of the routine. I think your environment definitely plays a big part in that. And just kind of the education that's around. What's really cool is like, I was telling you, I'm living with my brother-in-law's parents right now. And my brother-in-law's dad, he's set out a goal after his retirement to do triathlons, one in every state. He's only got nine states left. Yeah. We'll put his blog in the show notes on this. But So he's doing a lot of like connecting with people that are over Really? Hey, you couldn't pick a quieter place? Like seriously, (laughs) hey? Listen. Like really? I was like, is it just me here Like, but my I'm apologies to the listeners if you hear these like motors. <laughs> so, like, yeah, this is a trial episode. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry to cut you off, Meg. 
We also have 16% on my phone before like this whole thing is going to shut down. Shut down before this whole thing goes. Okay, we'll wrap it up here soon. But I was going to say the triathlons over the age of 50, it's really cool. He's connecting with a lot of people. Like He's writing up an article of someone in France who's been doing a bunch of triathlons there. So it's like kind of seeing how it is all over the world with this aging perspective and how people view their health and what options there are. Just because you're retiring or just because you're getting older, it doesn't mean that you should stop learning new things or trying new things. You know, I think of my client that I had in Kuwait last year and he was 61 and wanted to learn how to swim so he could swim with his wife on vacation. And so we did that. And he was just kind of shocked of like how I didn't think this was possible like to learn how to swim at the age of 61. And it was just really cool. It doesn't have to stop at all. And the more you learn new things and challenge yourself like that, I think the better off the aging process is. So I went thrifting yesterday and I found a book and it was The Brain Changes Itself. And it's all about that neuroplasticity and it's all about challenging yourself and learning new fun. I've definitely been challenged a lot since coming back and tapping into some different populations. So it's been really, really exciting. Dude, that's... Did, it get did I cut out on there? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, there was a pause. I'm like, did I get it? <laughs> but it's good to get out of your comfort zone sometimes because sometimes totally. you'll just totally. become so complacent doing the exact same thing over and over again. And you're not challenged. Yep. And I think that's where trainers kind of get <laughs> mad. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of trainers start to kind of get in that rut where they get these like blanket programs for each client and kind of running people through the same version. I think it's because they probably haven't been challenged enough, I guess, with some, I don't know, some different scenarios. I say take on some different things and just learn a little bit. Yeah. It's so funny you bring that up. I was talking to a trainer in Dubai and he goes, the trainers in Kuwait have no idea how lucky they are and how cushy their jobs are. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Totally. It's funny because a couple of people mentioned they're pissed off at me because I'm calling trainers out every now and then on the show. And you know what? Yeah. All right. You guys, you don't have to do fucking anything. All right. You don't even have to mop a floor. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you don't even have to right. throw on your right. education yeah. here. Whereas these guys in Dubai are busting their asses just to bring clients and they mm-hmm. have to continuously do new things and learn new things. And here it's just like, oh, okay, yeah. you know, I'll turn down a client or I'll do whatever. I'll tell a client to piss off and they get away with it because it's turned into the norm and people don't know any better here, realistically. In right. my opinion, I don't think they understand. Yeah. I should have a specific program with specific goals, much like Haya, yeah. our kind of co-host here. Treating people as an individual. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. No, this was my segue into Haya and like her whole powerlifting <laughs> thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, she's... Are you going to continue it? I'm she's like, talk me up some more. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce this. Yeah, no. So, I mean... That's the thing. I'm like, you probably would have never had that on your list or even in your goal site, you know, of something to do had you not had a trainer that actually looks at you as a person and capabilities mm-hmm. and kind of exposes you to things outside of your comfort zone and probably outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. No, 100%. And in terms of like these cookie cutter programs... Like my trainer can look at my weaknesses and say, okay, we're going to spend a whole week working on your hamstrings or your glutes because if you're not activating here or your scaps. And it makes a difference when you have someone actually looking at you and saying, this is what we need to work on as opposed to giving me things that I don't need as much of. Yeah, totally. It's funny because Haya walked in to Rob and she was 54 kilos. She weighed around 54 kilos or like 52. I don't know. I'm probably going to yell that for saying that anyways. 
And she was proud of her squat that was at like 50 kilos. You know what I mean? And now she's but doing... it's not about the numbers. Like, but let's not talk about the weight no, 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 but, or like how much I weigh. There, there, there is, I don't think it's... No, but hold on. There is an element to that. The ratio from your body weight to what you can lift. Yeah. yeah and and there's, that's what you're getting. And, and there's yeah, an yeah. element to that too because right now she is bigger. Like she's more muscular and it's coming mm-hmm. into her own. But at the same time, she's doing 100 kilos for six. You know what I mean? For yeah. six reps. She's doing 275. She's, you know, she's doing over 300 on her deadlifts. So this was all a progression from doing the stuff where, I mean, let's face it, a couple of years ago, it was like women shouldn't lift weights, right? They shouldn't lift heavy. Right now, like there's, there's a lot of stigma around it. Just even in terms of just how much space my body's now taking up, people always feel the need to say, your shoulders are getting a little broader there or your legs That's when you just say, you know slower. what? But my shoulders do some really amazing things. Exactly. So. <laughs> so we're talking about this. Like, I don't want to focus on how my body looks, but I want to focus on what my body what can do. Totally. Totally. And that's it. And that goes back to, I know we've mentioned this before, like the difference between health and aesthetics and, you know, keeping your goals performance-based in the, especially when it comes to weight management, like keeping your goals performance-based, the weight management yeah. is just like a byproduct of that. Like you don't even have to focus on that. You don't put your energy on that. When you focus more on what you can do rather than what you look like, everything just sort of falls into place with that. It makes a difference Yeah, because I'm not sitting there thinking, okay, I have to eat to make sure I'm losing weight. No, I'm eating to make sure that I can lift these more. Yeah. And I'm feeling energized and I'm feeling great. And yeah. it makes the training a lot more fun. It is. When I get to kind of gauge where I was six weeks ago and now. Yeah. And let's talk about that a little bit with as far as like how long of doing something. So like in three weeks, what kind of changes did you notice? And then in six weeks, like how far into the process are you? And then like, or are you tracking too? Like, progress or how you feel with things. She leaves that to her her coach. Her her coach totally tracks for But I do as well. I mean, when I first went to him and said, okay, listen, I'm doing it in September. I think I told him about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. My program changed drastically. Went from benching once a week to three times a week, like five times a week kind of split now. So it's a lot of volume and a lot of hypertrophy right now. So feeling it. <laughs> yeah. I took a long break from lifting too. Cause I was having the, or like the hip back pain and what it turned out to yeah. be is just like a really angry. So as, <laughs> and so I was like backed off of the strength training for a while to kind of just like work that out. But so I've just started as well. It's so like, when you said you were doing, you know, like a hundred kilos, I'm like looking, I'm like, Oh my God, I lifted like 45 kilos the other day. And I felt <laughs> like it was the heaviest thing on earth. So <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> to listen to like the beginning stages of how you're going, like the high volume and how it does. Cause like I'm kind of in that hypertrophy mindset and phase as well right now. And it's just so many freaking reps. <laughs> oh, no, no. Like anything above five is cardio to me at this point. I know. Like if I hear eight reps, I want to start crying. Yes. No. I know. But and tell tell so, people about where you started. I think that's important. Meg, you touched on a really Meg, you touched on a really important point about starting at that lower level and working your way up because you can't just go from squatting forty kilos to hundred kilos. So hey, talk about where you know. started last year. No, like about a year and a half ago, I was a yogi, but I felt like my strength was kind of deteriorating. So I went to the gym and I said, "Hey, I want to get a little stronger." And I remember the first thing I said to him is, I can't squat, by the way. And because I didn't have the ankle dorsiflexion or any of that stuff. So I think I spent a good three, four months on just a box. 
Just learning how to squat. Yeah. That's it. And just working on my ankle mobility and just all the boring stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I remember as soon as he took the box off, it was just with an empty bar and I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing is like, what's so important. It's so good that he was there to kind of like guide you through that because, and this is the problem, a lot of like the self-paced and kind of cookie cutter programs that we were talking about earlier is like, make the time for it in the beginning, go back to those basics and just learning how to move that body weight very effectively. That's going to make it better in the long run because here's what's going to happen is if you want to rush through that and you want to load up a bunch of weight and you want to muscle through the range of motion that you don't have comfortably, (laughs) you know, then you're going to have to come back and do those basics eventually. Anyway, you're going to get injured and you're going to have to slow down. And one of two things is going to happen. You either go back to those basics and you relearn how to do things and train your body to get stronger there before going back. Or the other side of that, I guess people stop moving. I got injured and then it blows it for them and then they don't ever want to do it again. And the beginner program that I'm running someone through right now, it's the same thing. It's like I have four days a week of heavy mobility and nervous system training for that mobility and just body weight strength. And only two days a week, they get to like lift with a barbell and do things like that. But it's just like, listen, you got to make time for it now because otherwise if we go too fast with this, injury happens and you've already had injuries in the past. And that's the thing is getting people to understand, you know, listening to your body, your body is actually letting you know where your future injuries are coming as you move. And the only way you discover that is through those basics and by just moving your body, just your body weight. It's so important, like especially down the line when you start adding all of that weight. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that mobility, if you can't feel it in your body, like with yeah. a squat, you just go down slow. Yeah. Or just feel your body through those movements. It's not going to work. It's not going to yeah. progress. Like is it with pull-ups. I remember yeah. when I first heard pull-ups, I couldn't even do a negative. Yeah. And so it was just like three months of ring grows and scap push-ups and just scap retraction through attraction yeah. on the bar. And I went from I, Yeah. I can totally relate to that. As a college athlete, I spent most of my college time hardly being able to do a pull-up. I remember every year to walk into the weight room, my coach would just like make jokes and be like, maybe this is the year Megan gets a pull-up. And some of that, you know, was on him of like, okay, dude, like, program it exactly but after college I was working with him and another coach and he straight up told me it's like you should be able to do five chin-ups before we start working on the pronated you know how many ring rows you should be able to do and yeah exactly your eccentric motion and all that and it was just this all that boring stuff and then when it came time to me wanting to get a muscle up you know he kept telling me that he's like how are your pull-ups how are your dips you don't have those, you know, as strong as you should to work on this muscle up. Here's what you have to do. I was able to kind of muscle my way through a lot of other stuff that I never wanted to go back to those basics. And then it wasn't until I believe four years ago. Yeah. I really became concerned with like my upper body strength and that pulling strength. And sure enough, what I was programmed, it was ring rows and negatives and scat pushups and everything that you're talking about right now. And it's like, you have to make the freaking time for it and you have to move slow. And it sucks because you just want that freaking pull up. But I will say within 12 weeks, I was doing five pull-ups pronated on a tempo, you know, with a pause and a hold at the top with my chest touching the bar straight into five dips, you know? So it's just like the gains come really freaking fast when you make time to work on those basics. Yeah, it we should write a pull-up cool. program. <laughs> we should. That's not <laughs> no, a bad exactly. idea, dude. That's not a bad idea at all. It doesn't look cool and people just want to put the right. bands on there and start like doing as many as possible. Cranking out a bunch, yeah. But what's that going to do for you? It's just going to take you longer to even get your first It'll catch one. up. Not... It'll yeah. catch up, yeah. But dude, from a guy's perspective, I mean, look at social media now, okay? Like when you go on social media, you're seeing dudes doing deadlifts of 600 pounds and 
push press of 400 pounds. I mean, even me, like today, I saw a guy doing a push press of like 350 pounds. So I'm throwing the weight on the bar. Lo and behold, I dropped the bar twice. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I got through one and then I dropped it twice after that. If I had just stayed on the weight I could do and manage in two weeks, I would be able to do that weight. I'm saying that. that, Yeah, Yeah. but it's it's a lot of that unconscious ego that kicks in for a lot of us. And I think I blame some of it on social media, to be honest with you, because I see that shit. I get pumped up and I'm like, all right, let me go do this. And when my coach sees me, he says, ramp it down. It's not a PR day. Like he literally put in my program in capital letters. This (laughs) is not a PR day. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I was telling someone. Today is not the day that we try to fail. (laughs) I know, right? And I was telling someone else, um, she was talking to me about the show and she was like, do you practice what you preach? I say, look, for the most part, yes. But at the end of the day, sometimes that ego bug, it bites me and I'm going to go after it. You know what I mean? Like you, you try to discipline yourself as well as you can. But with all the crap you see out there, it's tough sometimes. And for a novice person going into it, when you see some jerk off doing squats and jumping up and then going into a Hindu squat, like, dude, why are you showing people that? 90% of the people watching that can't even do a Hindu squat with no weight, let alone with a barbell. And that's the thing too. A lot of those videos out there, it's like, it doesn't show you maybe how the person prepared to get to that point. And then also like, did they really do those things back to back like that as like part of the training? Or is that just showing like what capabilities they've been able to gain as a byproduct of what they were actually doing for their training? You know what I mean? So it's like, there's so much of the story that you don't know when you see just like a little clip of that. And of course, they're going to show what gets some attention, what looks sexy, whatever it is. But there's so much of that story that what did that person eat that day? How well do they sleep? How well, you know, like goes back to like all of those things too. Like there's just so much out there that is not communicated (laughs) in those little clips. So it's it's tough. But it used to be the magazines, not Instagram. It's just same issues, just recycled over and over. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. But hey, where did you start with weight when you first went into the gym? You were like squatting 50 kilos, right? You were like, you weren't even at 50 kilos. And how long did it take you to get to where you are now? But it took me so long to just get the mechanics of the squat down. Like the deadlift for me was a lot easier because you just pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) But squat has always been, it's always been my favorite, but like the most technically challenging for me, which is why I enjoy it. But it's taken me like a good year and a half. And only recently had we switched up from just squatting once a week twice a week. And that's when the numbers really started increasing. Yeah. And then as soon as I had that comp in my head, oh my goodness. Yeah. Completely different animal. (laughs) And that's that mindset matters. And that's a big part of it too. Yeah. No, Maddie saw me benching pre-signing up and post-signing. Oh my God. Me and Rob look at each other. We're like, where the fuck did this come from? Like, are you kidding me? Like, seriously, dude? Like, you've been been moseying along through the bench press days and then you come out and you get the grunt and the, you know what I mean? And it's like, we look at each other. It's like, really? (laughs) You know? So, but who enjoys that? But dude, it goes back to goal setting. When you have a goal, and you're working towards that, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I think we beat that horse on the show so much. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it makes a huge difference. It does. And I got to see it like firsthand when before, when I'd have a weight that scared me on the bar, I would kind of just shake my head and say, you know what? Not today. 
But yeah. now with this comp in my head, I'm like, you know what? If I just can't Maybe make the milk. Today. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's giving me that extra... Because after a year and a half of just doing strength training yeah. for fun, it got a bit... There was a little monotony in there. Totally. And that's so, so funny because I, I'm on the opposite side of that where it was like I trained for competition for so long and it got to a point for me where it was like I hit like the max weight that I wanted and the bar came down and I was just kind of like, damn, I'm bored. I don't want to do another eight-week strength cycle to get five more pounds on that bar. You know, and that's where like different ways of moving. But I will say by taking that, I found different ways that I can move. And every time mm-hmm. I go back to doing that strength lift, the squats, the press, the deadlift, the Olympic lifts, whatever it is, I feel so much better. I feel so much stronger. I do feel more confident being like, you know, so there's a big translation um, between the two, but I just think, yeah, just know where you are and know what your goals are. And people are on all kinds of different sides of the spectrum of that. And I think that's freaking awesome that you're picking up a competition and after having a kid and after spending a year of working on mechanics and all these things, like people, again, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, this aging being an excuse not to do things. And it's just like, why not? Why can't like, I can compete against something, someone, you know, if I want to. And it's, that's cool to know that you have the confidence to try something new and see how it makes you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Like I never thought I'd be sitting here at 30 years old. I've always been like in the world of academia. Mm-hmm. So now going into this world, it's fun, it's different. And like what we were talking about earlier in terms of not being stagnant and complacent with what we're doing. Exactly. Like you're not activating the mind at that point. And, and you're not so, helping your muscles either. There's no adaptation that's going to help. No. Or aging wise, brain wise or anything. Like you need that. You need to get out of autopilot. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's funny yeah. though, like yeah, taking so it back cool. to the training part of it too. I think it's funny how last week, his trainer, what did he have you do? He had you put what, 300 pounds on the bar just to get a feel of it. Just to feel. Yeah, yeah. just to feel yeah. it and get that that's central nervous and system. That's my goal. Yeah. And yeah. I, like, it's funny because people don't do that anymore. Like my right. goal is to hit 400 pounds on my squat. So the other day I was like, all right, let me put 375 on the bar. See how it feels on my back. And it's right. just getting your body just getting comfortable with just the weight on right. your back. And it's cool Those that you're building up to that. It sucks. Hey, it you held 300 pounds on your back for 10 seconds. <laughs> yes, you did. It is my goal. Yeah. But you did it. No, I did. Like it, it felt good too. That's freaking heavy, girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's my wife. Just so everybody knows. Just so everybody knows that's my wife. All right. That's my wife. I produce this. Okay. Amazing. That's amazing. All right. In about 12 weeks or so, I think I might be at a point where I could be comfortable. Maybe I'll put 200 pounds. We'll see where, I don't know. I'm starting way back at the basics again, but. Also, oh, just wow. Like, that's impressive. If you're not feeling good, it's okay. And I think that needs yeah. to be said. There are days yeah. when like a hundred kilo is super easy for me. And then today mm. it was a struggle. Right. And right. so it's also about not being too hard on yourself mm. and realizing, okay, my CNS is probably fine. How did I sleep? How did I eat? Right. How right. all these other factors around? Yeah. And to not get too discouraged. Yeah. No, that's a hundred percent true. And this, I think we talked a little bit about before too, and that hormone cycle is a big part of that too. There's certain times within that of where you're prepared for those kinds of things and when you're not. And that doesn't mean that you stop moving, but there's also just a little bit of that's where like that balance of that compassion and discipline kind of come in of like, here's what my body is really prepared for right now. Here's what I know it needs. And here's where my goals are. I'm going to keep chipping away at it, but have a little bit more compassion. Let's say like, if it's not a win that day, or if it doesn't feel as strong as it used to, and just paying attention to that of different, yeah, yeah. what does the day look like? And I think that we've talked about this before, like on the guy's perspective of like, did your PR happen in the morning or in the evening? Yeah. And you go back to yeah. try it again. 
know, that makes a difference for your guys' hormone levels and, and things like that too. So it's just, that's all good stuff to be aware of and take note of. There's so many things. It's exciting. And informing your coach too. Like if you have a coach, you got to inform them what's going on with your body. For a female, if you're on your period, tell your coach. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. It's a normal bodily function that, you know, and he needs to know. It's very good information for them to have as far as what your nervous system can handle at that time. They should be aware of it and know for sure. Yeah. So, hey, here's a hard question. How's the stigma of lifting weights as a female here in Kuwait? Like, how's that coming along? Because you've had tremendous support from a lot of girls at the gym. You've had a lot of support from a lot of people. But on the flip side, you've had some, not haters, but you know what I mean. I think that it's everywhere. If you lift, someone's always going to have something to say, whether it's how much bigger your body looks or that you're going to break your back or you're going to hurt yourself. And it's all about your hands, how your hands how rough oh, they are oh, grabbing yeah, the bar. Yeah. I always would get that one. They're like, you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> calm down. Calm down. Because you know what? The other day when a girl came up to me and she was like, oh my God, you're so strong. It's inspiring me. I'm like, right. perfect. Great. Like, that's what matters to me. I'm not going to listen to what all these other people are thinking. It doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. Just someone's always going to have a comment about something. Don't talk totally. about that. Totally. So yeah. at the end of the day, don't know just, where you're going. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, girls, go out there and get it. Get some strength gains. All right. And then come back to the project. Tell us, <laughs> tell us what's going on and you'll be on this show. All right. Cause we're, it would it's, be cool it's, it's if all about did write in, you know, maybe some similar experiences of just kind of maybe like yeah. they were hesitant themselves and then started doing it. And what, how did they feel afterwards? I've got a couple of women that I worked with over there that I know that were like after having five kids and being in their forties and started lifting weights and like all the benefits outside of physical changes and stuff like what other benefits they started to feel it'd be cool if people wrote in kind of what their experiences are with it starting weightlifting at any age and any ability yeah Yeah, no definitely so there we go we'll end it on that note if you have any comments write them in send them in to us dm us and we'll post them or hell we might even call you (laughs) yeah i know right that would be a lot of fun but Meg, thanks again for joining us from the States. All right. We hope we get you back here in Kuwait soon. So good to see you guys. And hey, thanks for joining us from (laughs) Hetlin. You're welcome. Motorcycle call. later. (laughs) I know, right? All right, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.